So take your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're working through the Beatitudes this morning. And um, I want you to work through them with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You're welcome to turn there as well. As, as you are turning there, I want to just begin to, to stir your mind here. Actually not begin because I trust that your mind has already been stirred in the direction that I'm going as you came here. If you made it for the welcome, um, I was sharing that I want you to think about this question. Is your life characterized by peace? According to the New York Times, this is July 6, 2003, so 17 years old, but nonetheless, I want to share this this morning. The past of the past 3,400 years that the world has seen, like recorded history, we have seen a total of 268 years of peace. Did you, did you catch that? Of the past 3,400 years, the world has been at total peace for 268 years. That is, let that sink in, that is 8%. 8% of the last 3,400 years has been characterized by total peace. So you do the math, that means that 92% of the history of the last 3,400 years has been characterized by conflict. There has been conflict somewhere in the world taking place over 92% of our history. That's, that's crazy. This last week I read that over the last 2,000 years, approximately 1,500 wars have been fought. War is defined as active conflict that claims the lives of at least 1,000 people. That's how they figure out what war actually is. And obviously, many wars claimed far more than 1,000 people. Far more than 1,000 people. These are troubling statistics I'm sharing with you. They tell us that the world, our world, is not at peace. We don't have peace here. And our world is struggling to figure out how we bring about peace. We just don't know. We think we know. Politicians think they know. As creative as we get, the turmoil multiplies. It has been said, I have heard it said, I read this this last week as well, I don't know who said it, peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Peace is that glorious moment when everyone stops to reload. Is that peace? I'm just going to reload the gun to shoot you. Is that peace? Based on our last 3,400 years, yeah, it is. I want you to keep in mind this morning with me that peace goes so much further than just the absence of war. Although absence of war is wonderful, we long for that, it gives us a sense of peace. 
But while there could be an absence of war, conflict continues at multiple levels. Talk with someone who has experienced divorce. They understand conflict. They understand the absence of peace. Consider a family member who refuses to talk to you. Conflict is understood. Consider a family member or an acquaintance who is unsafe to talk to. Like you try to talk, and every time you try to talk, it just doesn't go well. Or you actually really feel like it's actually it's, it's unsafe. I can't talk. This is, this is unsafe because they just they come unglued. Consider an acquaintance who is quick to grow angry, accusatory, or revengeful. Or just simply consider the images that we have seen on television the last few months. Just look at our own state. Just look at our own nation. Just look at what's happening in Portland. We don't see peace. We see protesters vandalizing and looting storefronts and taking glory in it. We see the opposite of peace. We see chaos. We see brokenness. We see dysfunction. God, help us. God, we need your help because we are in a state of chaos. And I feel as though our political leaders don't know what to do. Both sides, Republican and Democrat, claim I have the answer. Here's the answer. And we go back and forth. But we are not finding solutions here for peace. Again, I ask you to consider this, word, or this, this question with me this morning. Is your life defined characterized by peace? Do you have peace personally? Let's turn to the Beatitudes. I trust that you're already there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Each week I I keep on going back and I read where we've been. I'm going to do that same thing again. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, and remember that the people that he's teaching, I know there's questions on who these people are. Is he teaching directly to the disciples? Yes, I I think so. Is he also teaching the masses? We read before this that Jesus had healed numerous people and those people came and they wanted to be with him. And so they are there, regardless of whether this is directed directly to them, they are there listening in. And at the close of this Sermon on the Mount, as we have called it, they are amazed at his teaching. And these people who who are with them are people who are disenfranchised, they're marginalized, they're people on the outside. They're They're the... Rejects of society. They are the people that society would say, you're the loser. You need a life. Okay, that's, and that's who he has healed. And they are there listening. And they're like, this is intriguing. So here are the words. 
that Jesus says in these Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And now where we are at today, and blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, the makers of peace. For they will be called children, sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Is your life defined by peace? This last week in your house, as you think about you personally, would you say, my last week was defined by peace. Peace has nothing to do with the chaos and dysfunction around us. It is like a rough ocean in our society. And it is going to be that way. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. It is just going to be that way until Jesus calls us home. But in the midst of that, we can know peace. Matter of fact, Jesus came to bring us peace. Think about the passage of scripture that Seth read this morning. Jesus said, my peace I bring and I give to you. I don't give like the world gives. If that was the case, it wouldn't be real peace. It would be the promise of peace and empty. Oh, no peace. But what Jesus brings is real peace. He wants to bring real peace. No so matter what you're walking through, there can be a sense of peace. There can be real heartbreak. And yet in that, there can be a sense of, God, I have a sense of peace. I have shared this with you before. And I'll share it again with you right now. It's not in my notes, but I was just thinking about this right now. At the times that I have experienced the greatest amount of peace in my life have been when my life had the most turmoil. Explain that. Explain that. All I could say was, Lord, I sense your peace in a way that I did not understand it before. But in the midst of chaos, I have a sense of, God, you're speaking to me. Your peace is mine. You are with me in these moments. Um, there's a bumper sticker, and I'm going to throw it up on the screen here. Maybe you've seen it. What if they had a war and nobody came? Have you seen that before? I'm not quite this old, but in 1970, they had a movie that actually came out, I think with this title, What If They Had a War and Nobody Came? So there was actually a song that, that went along with it. What if they had a war and nobody came? Um, I listened to that song last night. I was like, I want to find out what that song is. I have not seen the movie, so I'm not suggesting, hey, go watch it, um, a 50-year-old movie. You might enjoy it. I don't know. You, I mean, you can watch it. I just haven't watched it. And probably I'm not going to either. But I, I heard this question this last week. What if they had a war and nobody came? Nobody showed up. I like that. 
There's a number of things I want you to think about with me this morning. I'm hoping that my mind can communicate clearly with you. I hope that you can track with me here. I want you to um, begin by considering this statement here um, on the screen as well. You cannot give what you do not possess. You and I cannot give what you don't possess, what you don't have. That makes complete sense, right? If I don't have $1,000, I can't give you $1,000. Like if I'm broke, I don't have the money to give you. You cannot give what you do not possess. It is true, especially with this area of peace here. Okay, now Jesus is telling us that blessed are the peacemakers, those who are makers of peace. Blessed are those people who help bring about peace. I cannot bring about peace if I don't have peace myself. If I don't possess peace, how am I going to help those who I want to bring to peace? You might begin to think with me, and I don't want to go too political here, but maybe just a little bit. Does it make sense why politicians cannot bring peace? If they themselves do not know the Prince of Peace, how can they bring peace? There's a problem there. If a politician does not have a relationship with Jesus, and, and please hear me out. I, I have voted for people who lack faith in Jesus because they're the best candidate. And I say, yes, go for it. Okay, I, I get that. But I also understand that to truly be a peacemaker, you must have peace yourself. And this is not superficial peace where I feel as though I'm okay. No, this is deep-seated peace where between me and God, we are okay. Because that is real peace. If, if my relationship with other people seems to be okay... And yet my relationship with God suffers. I am going to die and I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to say, well, I think I lived a pretty peaceful life because I was a really kind neighbor. And I believe that God is going to say, that's wonderful, but that gets you nowhere because there is brokenness between the two of us. We need peace with God. And so I cannot give peace to other people if I myself don't actually have peace. Throughout the Beatitudes, you've heard me talk about positional, being positional in Christ. I've talked about this in relation to purity, and I've talked about this in relationship to righteousness. There is a positional sense of when we place our faith in Jesus positionally, we are declared righteous. Positionally, we actually take on the purity of God himself. It's amazing. It's amazing that God himself would give us his purity. Because of my faith in Jesus, when I confess my sin to Jesus, he forgives me of my sin. He takes my sin from me. He separates it as far as east is from the west. He cleanses me from it. And he gives me his purity. 
He gives me his righteousness. Positionally, this is who I am. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is who you are. This is what gives us a sense of, okay, we do not know when the Lord is going to call us home, do we? We don't know. I I mean, we all live as though this next week is guaranteed for us, right? We just think it's all guaranteed. We don't know. I, I hope that we are all going to be together. By the way, next week I will not be with you. I'm going to be on vacation. Our family's going to go camping. So when you don't see me, don't think, <gasps> it's not that. I'm, I'm vacationing, okay? And by the way, please all come out, okay? Stan is going to be preaching. Stan, thank you for covering for me while I'm gone. The next week, I'm not going to be here. We're going to be flying Trenton out to Kansas. Um, I'll be flying home that day. Paul and Virginia Tanner, our missionaries, will be here. Again, you be here. Please be here. Um, when, before, this is definitely rabbit trail here. Before I was a senior pastor, I would notice that whenever the senior pastor was gone, people just like didn't show up sometimes. Let's not be that church. All right? Let's not be that church. You all come next week. I'm telling you, it will be worth you being here because God has spoken to Stan and Stan is going to communicate the truth to you. Uh, We're taking a break from the Beatitudes. We'll finish when I get home. Uh, And you come and hear Paul. My only, I wish so bad. I told Paul when I asked him, Paul, would you please preach for me when I'm gone? He said, yes. I said, "Here's, here's the only thing. I wish so badly I was there. I wish so badly I was there. Paul is a Hispanic man. He is a ball of fire. I've never met the man before. I fly home on the 16th, and so we're going to, Kelsey and I will have them over for dinner on the 18th. I can hardly wait to meet them. You come and meet them. And by the way, if you can have them over for dinner, do it. Have them over for lunch. Take them out for coffee. Get to know them, okay? Okay, done done with the rabbit trail. Peace. Positionally, we have peace. We have peace. This is what Billy Graham called peace with God. When we place our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. So that here again, if I die and stand before God, I have peace with him. My sins have been forgiven. Do I always act like it? No. But positionally, I have this standing before God. I'm declared righteous. I've been justified. This is my, this is my standing. But just because we have peace with God does not mean that we have, as Billy Graham has said, the peace of God. And so this morning, I want you to think about this. You can be a follower of Jesus. I'm not here to guilt trip you necessarily, but you can be a follower of Jesus and you can feel as though life is chaos and you can feel as though there is no peace and all you know is turmoil. All you know is relational brokenness. You think about your own family and it just breaks your heart. You think about a relationship with a coworker and it just gets to you. 
You think about things that bother you, stress you out, concern you. You watch the news and your heart begins to beat faster and you're just bothered. There could be a sense as a believer of tension, turmoil. Just because we are followers of Jesus does not mean that we have peace in the true sense of what God wants to do in our life. Again, how much peace do you have? If we are to be peacemakers, if we are to make peace, we cannot give what we ourselves do not have. These beatitudes build on each other. It, it is like a staircase. Jesus just builds on these. The very, excuse me, the very first beatitude, number one, start by recognizing that morally you have nothing to give God. That's the place to begin. Jesus builds on that. Mourn. Mourn for your brokenness. Mourn for the brokenness you see in the world. Mourn for sin. He builds on. Choose meekness. Builds on. Seek righteousness. He builds on. Extend mercy. Builds on. Pursue purity. When this is done, we can begin to be peacemakers. We can begin to be makers of peace. I've also said, though, that Beatitudes number one and number five link to each other. Remember me saying that? Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we understand that we are poor in spirit, that we have spiritually nothing to offer God, we are spiritually bankrupt, we become merciful people. And I said that Beatitude number two links to Beatitude number six. People who mourn for their sin are pure in heart. And this morning I am saying that Beatitude number three links to Beatitude number seven. Meek people know how to make peace. Meek people, gentle people, are people who know how to make peace. Have you ever been in relationship with someone where that person grows irritated and is quick to just lose it? They're hard people to work with, aren't they? Hard people to be with. Um, that could be a boss. That could be a fellow employee. It could be someone in your own household or it could be a neighbor that just kind of flies off the handle and you don't know when they're going to break. Sometimes they're okay and then all of a sudden like, whoo, where'd that come from? It's, it's hard. If that's the case, how much peace is in that relationship? The answer is obvious. There is no peace. At best, you get fear, resentment, and anger. This is the reason why I believe that meek people, people who are gentle, are the ones who bring peace. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle. What's another word for gentle? Meek. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you want peace? 
Seek gentleness. Seek gentleness in your relationships. This morning I want to pass on. I'm going to go linear here with you. So those of you who are linear thinkers, you will appreciate this. I don't usually do this. I'm going to give you four things, okay? I'm going to give you four things. So four things, four challenges to the person who wants to make peace. How do we make peace? These, these four things come from various theologians. I read this last week. I looked at five different commentaries. These are not necessarily just from one theologian, but from kind of what I just kind of gleaned as I read, and I want to pass this on. Number one, how do I make peace? Practice honesty. Practice honesty. I, If you're like me, I think it's tempting to believe that peacemakers are people who um, are happy-go-lucky people. You know, like nothing bothers them. Like nothing can just throw them. They're just always cheerful. That, that is not a peacemaker. That might be a naive person. That might be a clueless person. Okay? So <clears throat> to, to be a peacemaker does not mean that you have to take your head and stick it in the sand. That's not what it is. No, a peacemaker... A maker of peace is someone who is honest. They are able to assess what's going on. They are able to assess the relationship. They are, under, they are able to say, hey, there's conflict. There's brokenness. This is wrong. I don't like this. This is unhealthy. They are able to see it for what it is. It doesn't mean they just gloss over it and say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It'll be okay. There, there might be times to do that and say, yeah, let's, it'll be okay. But I, I really believe that People who make peace are able to say, let's honestly assess where things are at. I need to honestly assess this relationship. This is broken. This is unhealthy. I don't like this. And I'm not going to pretend that everything is okay. So, I ask you, with this, got any problems in your life? (laughs) Sure you do. Don't just gloss over it. Own up to it. This is hard. I don't like this. This is aggravating. This really gets to me. Be honest. This is hard. When this person said this, I really, I really kind of wanted to put up my dukes. I really didn't like that. That, that bothers me, you know? Be honest. Be honest. It's a good place to begin. And see if you can go beyond just being honest. Do the best you can to identify the root of the problem. Figure out if you can determine what is really going on here. I think this is part of being honest. What is really going on here? Um, I did not ask my wife if I can share this, but I, I think that... It, She's, I'll find out in about an hour here. <laughs> I, I think I, she'll be okay with it. Occasionally we have conflict, right? Not a big surprise that that happens. When we have conflict, I just saw my daughter go, Woo! <laughs> when we have conflict, a lot of times there's a sense of like, we're just like button heads and it's like, what's going on here? We have to figure out the root 
Like, okay, why is there conflict? Why am I being short with you? Why are you being short with me? We have to figure out the root. What, what's at the root of this problem? Why are we being like this? Why, why are we short with each other? And, and if you're a married couple, you might understand this. Well, maybe it's like over money. You know, like maybe it's like we are, one of us is a saver and one of us is a spender. And, and like we just have to come together and identify the problem. That happens when we are honest. We must be honest if we want peace, it begins with honesty. We are going to get nowhere by pretending that the problems do not exist. That relates to our society right now. There are many, many problems. We recognize that. And the church, can we recognize that the church has many problems? Sure. How are we going to fix them if we cannot recognize them? In a relationship, whether it's spouse or parent to child, child to parent. If there's a problem, we need to be honest with it. Number two, come in humility. Come in humility. Meek and gentle people bring peace. Meek and gentle people are the ones who bring peace. Peace. Praise the Lord for meek and gentle people in the body of Christ. I praise the Lord for those people. Because I know we're not all meek and gentle people. But some people are just a bit more gifted here, I would say. And by the way, this is, a, this is a fruit of the Spirit. So this is something all of us, we shouldn't just say, well, some people are more gifted there and that's what they get. Now, this is, this is the fruit of the Spirit, peace. This is something all of us are called to. Some of us do better here with it. But come in humility. Meekness and gentle people can bring peace. Arrogant people are the ones who bring division. So going a little bit political here again. Does this make sense? Does this make sense why we so see so much division? If politicians come in arrogance, polarize society, we, we get divided because we just, I must be right. We grow arrogant. We grow proud. And it's not, just, it's not just politicians. This is the American way. This is American people. If this is who we are, we cause, we just get chaotic, or we get, we get, uh, grow chaos. Arrogance will only bring division. So hear me. The opposite is meekness and gentleness. Again, going back to Proverbs, that, that, that careful word, that gentle and meek word, is what diffuses wrath and anger. Do you have a relationship right now where you sense that there's wrath and anger? Your response needs to be meekness. It needs to be gentleness. 
It does not excuse behavior. It doesn't just gloss over it. You are honest. But you also come in humility. We need this as followers of Jesus. I read um, this last week, this, this statement, I forget which theologian said it, but he said, whenever we put self first, peace always comes in last. Whenever we put ourselves first, and we are all about ourselves, you can guarantee that peace will come in last place every time. So you want peace in your relationship. You want peace in the body of Christ. Come in humility. Come in humility. Meek people do not demand privilege. They do not demand rights. They do not demand recognition. Look at what has happened to our own society ever since the 60s when we really began to push all of our rights. It's not really working that beautifully, is it? And I'm not downplaying rights. I appreciate rights. I appreciate the rights that we have. But when the voice came out strong saying, give me my rights, and we hear that more and more, what happens? We grow more and more divided. So the very thing that people wanted to have happened is not happening. We grow divided, polarized. Bring the opposite. Bring humility. Bring gentleness. Bring meekness. Three. So one, practice honesty. Two, come in humility. Three, live out forgiveness. Live out forgiveness. I don't have a lot to say here other than that when I read this one this last week, I was cut to the heart. I just was, I was like, ooh. This one really hit. Because, because one of the pastors or one of the theologians I was reading was saying that he said, we need to stop talking about people who have hurt us. <laughs> we need to stop talking about that. When we continue to talk about it, those people hurt me. I just need you to know how they hurt me. All it tells us is that we have not grown beyond this. We are still, we are still suffering we need to practice forgiveness. If we are bringing up something from two or three years ago, it's time to move on. If we are bringing up something from five or 10 or 15 years ago, it's time to move on. You see, you want peace? And do you want to be a peacemaker? There is no room for bitterness. Because when we grow bitter, we grow divided. The chaos continues. The dysfunction continues. Choose forgiveness. Choose to forgive. Choose to release. One, practice honesty. Two, come in humility. Three, live out forgiveness. And four, invite heart transformation. In my notes, I had a whole sentence listed here. And last night, as I was going through this message, I thought, oh, I should probably keep this to three words. So I did it. Invite heart transformation. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Until the human heart is transformed, there will be no peace. Until the human heart is changed, 
is transformed, truly transformed, there can be no peace. There, there can be a... I'm not saying that, that unbelievers can never live peaceful lives. Uh, they, they can live peaceful lives to a certain extent, and I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? I mean, there are some of my neighbors, and I want the peace. But I also know that the peace that matters most and the peace that teaches us in the greatest way is the peace that we find with God. And until our heart is transformed, it's really hard to bring peace to a broken and hurting world because all we're doing is I feel like we're just putting Band-Aids over the spot where it's bleeding, just trying to, well, here, put this on. Put this on. And it's like, no, no, you need to do a heart transplant. You need to do a major surgery here. And I feel like that's what our society is doing right now, trying to put Band-Aids over the places where we're bleeding. Well, let's just, let's just cover it up. No, we need to go deeper than that. There needs to be heart transformation. This happens because of our faith in Jesus. Because of faith in Jesus, because sin is forgiven. We have peace with God. Um, two passages in particular I'm thinking of. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God makes peace with broken humanity through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, through his blood shed for us. We have peace with God Ephesians 2, I'm actually going to turn there. You're welcome to turn there, or you can just listen, whatever is easiest for you. Ephesians 2, um, verses 13 through 17. I wrote in my notes, verses uh, 13 through 15. And last night as I was going through it, I thought, I actually want to share verses 16 and 17 as well, because I think they're just as good. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 13. Um, It says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So we're hearing again what, what Paul was saying in Colossians. We're brought near because of the blood of Christ. Now continue to listen here. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. And destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Who are the two he's talking about here? He's, if you recall, we went through Ephesians earlier this year. He's talking about the Jew and the non-Jew. Okay, There's this dividing wall of hostility, and it kept us separate. I'm a non-Jew. It, but, but because of Jesus, there is unity. There is reconciliation. Jesus came and, de- and destroyed that wall. So now he has created one body, both Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. Verse 15, so he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus is the one who brings peace. He, he is our model because he has brought peace to broken humanity like me and like you. But because of faith in Jesus, we are reconciled to the Father. But then God does not just stop there. Now we are those who have this ministry, which Paul describes as being a, min- a ministry of reconciliation. We are here to reconcile other people to God. We are here to reconcile people who are in conflict with each other. We are here to help bring resolution. Because God's desire by his spirit is that we would be one. On the human level, this can be hard. Because you and I can't go to people and say, hey, be reconciled to God. I, we can say that, but they have the choice. I want, like, they're, I'm not going to be reconciled to God. I don't want that. I, I mean, human nature is to resist It is to resist God. Or we can try to go to a human relationship and say, I want to see reconciliation. But it takes two parties, right? And just like one person can be defiant against God with two parties, one of those parties can be defiant against the other. Which is why I believe Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. God is a reconciler. He reconciles us to him through Jesus. God is a peacemaker. Which is why I believe Jesus tells us the words that he said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called what? The children of God. Sons and daughters of God. You see, when we help bring peace We are acting like our daddy. We are acting like our heavenly father. When we help bring peace to the world around us, when we help bring peace to broken relationships, when we help bring peace to the church or to our society, we are just simply a demonstration of our heavenly father. When Jesus said they will be called 
children of God. The verb tense that he uses here indicates that God is the one who calls them children. God is saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. Because our desire to make peace stems from our relationship with him. Because we have peace with God, it overflows into our relationship with one another and we long to be a peacemaker. We long for this. And we can do this because of our relationship with the Father, with our Heavenly Father. We are identified. God identifies us as his kids, as his children. In closing, I ask you this question. Are you characterized by peace? You cannot give what you don't possess. You must be at peace. And just because you are a follower of Jesus does not mean that there is peace. There are times in our life where we just, we, we get kind of carried away. We, we, break, we break peace. We, we cause problems. We get worried and bothered. We, maybe we follow the news too much. I'm not saying don't follow the news, but maybe it just kind of rattles us and we start to get just bothered, you know. God calls us to peace. Know him. But in that, when you know him, know that you were also called to extend his peace to others. Is there a relationship where you need to bring peace? Is there a relationship where you long to see greater peace? There, there's two people I have in mind right now. Um, as, as you are listening, I'm just thinking... Peace is really hard. Peace really can be hard. Because some people are quite honestly hard to have peace with. I I was thinking about the person who would say, this is a really nice message, Nate. But I'm not trying to be... I I just cannot help but think about the person who says, I've been abused. How do I have peace? I was taken advantage of. How do I have peace? I, I have had a relationship where there was extreme pain. How do I have peace? And I'm not trying to just simplify this at all. I have known some people who have longed for peace in those areas like that. And this is where I believe Romans 12, 18, why I share this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, me, live at peace. And so I have that person in mind this morning. But I also have other people who have a tendency as believers, we have a tendency of excusing it and and, and, and just saying, well, I, I just don't. I don't long for peace, or maybe I long for peace, but it's all their problem. It's someone else's problem. And, and that's, if that's you this morning, or if that's me, and I say, then may we be honest, and may we be humble, and may we be willing to put bitterness aside, 
by forgiving. And may we make sure that God has done his work in my heart. Because that's the only heart I can control. Does your heart have peace? As chaotic as the world is, and I don't read signs of it getting better, you and I can have peace. May you be marked by the peace of God. Because you have peace with God. And you bring that peace to other people. And may people, when they see you, or when they see us as a body of Christ at Kingwood Bible Church, may they say they have peace. And I want that. I want that and I need that. Lord God, please give us your peace. Lord Jesus, you came to give us peace. You offer us peace. And it is not like the world offers. And for that, I'm thankful. Because I don't like what I see the world offering. I want real peace. God, I want your peace. Lord, if there's anyone listening that says, I don't have that peace, may they come to you right now Recognize that they are sinful, they are separated from you, but God, you and your great love and mercy reach out to them. And by placing faith in Jesus, they can have that peace. Lord, if there's anyone here in person or listening online, I pray that they would reach out to me. I would love to talk with them further. Lord, for us as as followers of Jesus, may we have your peace. If there are areas in our life where we have relationships where we say there's just no peace, Lord, may we, may we strive as far as depends on us. May we strive for peace. Lord, we love you. We give you praise because you are the author of peace. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.